Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm excited about what I think may be the next big thing in anti-inflammatory supplements, a brand new all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health Liquid Extract from Future Farm Botanicals. Black for Health combines four plant-based foods, black garlic, black radish root, black cumin seed, and black peppercorn containing high levels of body-ready healing botanicals. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight management, circulation, and immunity. It's a tasty supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. For more information or to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuture. Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today... We're going to focus on food allergies. We have an expert on that subject. Indeed, she is Chief Medical Officer for FAIR, Food Allergy Research and Education. Uh, Dr. Ruchi Gupta is a professor of pediatrics and medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, very fine institution, and clinical attending at Ann and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Uh, she serves as the director of the Center for Food Allergy and Asthma Research. Uh, she's actively involved in tracing the extent of allergy in the community and also trying to come up with uh, answers to the very, very challenging question, why are we seeing so much in the way of food allergies? She's also the author of Food Allergy Experience. It's a source of reliable information, sound advice to help patients, caregivers, friends, and healthcare providers. Uh, on the subject of food allergies. Also, uh, a forthcoming book uh, is Food Without Fear, which will be released later this summer. So uh, without further ado, here's Dr. Gupta. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman. I'm very happy to be here. It's my pleasure. So, you know, the $64,000 question is, you know, it's obvious that uh, food allergies are on the rise. And, uh, you know, we could just look back historically and, you know, it, I mean, I, I can just think back to my childhood. We did not have like, uh, uh, you know, safety zones where you couldn't have any, uh, you know, uh, peanut butter. Right. Uh, you know, it, moms could uh, bake, you know, things for. Uh, you know, bake sales for kids, and and there weren't, yep. you know, there wasn't like a, a big concern about that. I I'm not sure that I knew a lot of kids who had food allergy. We didn't think twice about it. Maybe we we're missing some of that phenomenon. Uh, but certainly, right. you know, in a couple of generations, it's really, really, uh, we've seen an uptick. So, what what are some of the current theories on that? Yeah, so <laughs> you start with the hard one. Um, so you are absolutely right. Food allergies, you know, we call it an epidemic almost now because we are seeing so much of it and it's impacting so many people. So let me maybe start there. Um, our recent prevalence data shows that food allergies impact about 8% of kids, so it's about 1 in 13 or about 2 in every classroom. And then for adults, you know, we did the first adult uh, food allergy survey 
um, across the U.S. And what we found was it impacts about one in 10 adults. And that number was a lot higher, you know, than we had originally thought. So uh, a lot of people are affected by it, um, 32 million in the U.S. So it is, it has become an epidemic. It is a very big deal. And when we talk about, you know, what foods, uh, we have what we call a top nine. And that includes, you know, peanut, which everyone knows, uh, the tree nuts, um, milk, egg, uh, wheat, soy, shellfish, and finfish. And then number nine, which we recently um, published on, was sesame. And it's kind of an exciting time right now because there is a act in Congress called the FASTER Act that has been signed by the House and the Senate and is on the president's desk. They could finally agree um, on something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, that would actually um, help, uh, would, would actually uh, have sesame as one of the top, you know, those top eight are required to be labeled on foods, and sesame would be added to that list. So, sorry for the digression. I no, just no, no, wanted, you, I yeah, wanted to... You want to lay the groundwork and, you know, uh, give the yeah. actual statistics on how pervasive this is. So, good. Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I named the top nine, but you can be allergic. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, I have you know, a chickpea allergy or, or, you know, multiple other foods. So you can be allergic to any food. Those are just the most common foods that, that people are allergic to. Um, additionally, you know, one of the big things I want to put out there is food allergies can be mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. So about one in five adults thought they had a food allergy. Um, because when you eat a food and you have negative symptoms, often you don't know how to define that. Right? And you mm-hmm. you may think it is a food allergy. And, and I think this is really important as we were just chatting a little bit. You know, there are so many conditions around food, right? You have the intolerances and sensitivities. And then even for something like wheat, you could have, you know, gluten sensitivity or you could have a true wheat food allergy or you could have celiac disease, right? So mm-hmm. it's so hard to tell. And same with things like milk. So, um one thing we find is how do you, how do we help? And this is what that book that um, is forthcoming is all about is how do you decipher what's happening in your body mm-hmm. and how do you um, determine what you may have? And obviously go see your doctor and get it properly diagnosed. But some of the symptoms and food allergy, why food allergies have become such a big deal is they, it can become very severe, mm-hmm. right? So you can have things like hives, but then you can have pretty much any organ system. So you can have respiratory, trouble breathing, you can have GI, you know, profuse vomiting, you can have cardiovascular, a drop in blood pressure, and it can, it can um, increase rapidly, and it can be life-threatening. So that's why, you know, it's so important to really identify if it is a food allergy, and then to get um, proper diagnosis, and to get a management plan, and to have epinephrine, and know how to use it, and all those other steps. So, so that's the basic difference between food allergy versus intolerance. Uh, you may be intolerant to a food. You know, for example, uh, somebody who drinks milk and has problems, you know, gets diarrhea. Uh, that's not properly, that's an intolerance. That's uh, right. lactose intolerance. Uh, yep. And so it, it does not uh, mean that one has to forego all dairy products. Uh, exactly. It's merely about a substance within the, uh, the, the dairy product and that, needs to be avoided. Uh, so right. 
you lack an enzyme that converts. Yeah. And so it makes it digestible. So that is so such a great example because that is the one we talk about the most. Because if that's what's happening, then there are ways you can treat it, right? You can um, get, you know, milk that's free from lactose. You can also take a capsule with the enzyme, you know, to be able to enjoy some of those milk products and not have to avoid them versus a true milk allergy, which again, can cause very severe symptoms and be life-threatening. So that's I, why... I can attest to is, that because uh, I, was yeah. on a, I was on a plane uh, coming back from a, a convention in Las Vegas, a medical convention, and, um, you know, I was exhausted. I was trying to sleep. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, there was an announcement, is there a doctor on the plane? And I said, oh, no, that's, th- that's all I need. I hope there's some other people raising yeah. their So finally, you know, I, I push the button. And uh, the stewardess comes up to me and says, you know, there's a gentleman experiencing some problems in first class. And they go, oh, no, you know, guy coming back from Las Vegas. He's probably uh, hung over. Maybe he took some uh, pills, you know, so, he's, so I, I need to take a look at him. So I go to him. I, when I walk up to first class, I see a guy who has, he has his hands around his throat. He's turning blue. He has no breath sounds. He's going out. And the person next to him shows me a little packet of salad dressing and says, the guy didn't know that there was milk in the salad dressing. And so I, I had, I said, you know, this is an emergency, you know, uh, this, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, you have to have an early landing. Uh, we were almost dared in New York, so they managed to get to New York. And I was able to, with the help of a very, very rudimentary uh, crash kit, I had to break open a vial and administer, uh, uh, you know, epinephrine, you know, the three epi shots, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, while everybody looked on as I, you know, heroically uh, saved this guy's life, basically. <laughs> Um, you know, the, we landed wow. on the tarmac, the ambulance uh, pulled up, you know, medics rushed on board. And by the time they got on board, he was okay, fortunately. But um, that's an example of a, a true yeah. anaphylactic reaction, an extreme reaction. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for <laughs> for saving him. Um, and I, I'm hoping, you know, I, I was on an emergency some, similar um, ended up being the only doctor on the plane, and when I opened the um, that the med medical case, they actually had epinephrine auto injectors on right. it. See, so this is I prior to the auto injectors. Yeah, I had yeah. To, you know I had to yeah. crack the vial, <laughs> draw it up, yep. you know, and that whole it's thing. Expensive. And it was such a it was such That's a lousy. So <laughs> So, so the, the end of the story is they gave me a $75 voucher for future travel. How about that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just pretty generous. Huh? Doesn't seem right, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we don't do it for that, right? We no, do no, it no. for the love of medicine. Right, yeah, right. I know. Um, so back to your very interesting question. So that's exactly right. So that's where it's so important to know what you have, and it's so important to have um, – a management plan, and, and, you know, he should have had his own epinephrine, mm-hmm. but, yeah, if that was before the day. But nowadays, it's it's really critical to make sure you have a plan, you know how to use epinephrine if you need it in cases like that. Um, going back to the question you asked, which yeah. I never why? answered for why? you. Yeah. Um, why? <laughs> I knew you wouldn't forget. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to um, hold you there to are, it. Yeah, there are... Because I know you're actually doing research on this subject, right? Is that yeah. correct? Okay. I am. That's right. So this is such an important question for me. And just to also give you some um, background, I I have been studying food allergy for 16 years, and I 
a couple years into it, um, my own daughter was diagnosed with food allergies. So I am not only, you know, studying it and, and you know, seeing it in clinic, but also I live it, you know, with personal my own interest, daughter. Yeah. So it is very personal for me. And so I've, I've had many experiences um, with accidental ingestion and, and reactions. Um, but so I'm very curious about the why, because we had nothing. My, my husband and I had no allergic conditions at all. And then we have two children. One um, has severe environmental allergies and then our daughter who has environmental and food allergies. Mm -hmm. So how does this happen and what's changed in our environment that now, you know, you were seeing it more and you're seeing it more in these kids who have no family history because we always say genetics, 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 Mm -hmm. right? You're genetically predisposed. But there is a, a large environmental component to this. There's something that is turning on that switch, even if you don't have the the genetic complete predisposition. And, you know, some of the big theories, uh, investigators, including us, are, are looking at this all over the world, really. But a um, couple of the things that have uh, some merit include, one, you've heard the hygiene hypothesis, right? Yeah. Are we becoming too clean? Kids aren't playing in the dirt. And this is something, you know, I, we were just having a conversation over dinner with my family last night about this, like what's going to happen during COVID-19? Are we going to see more? Because now I we're really sequestering kids. Yeah. The kids don't get like uh, colds. They don't get, you know, nothing. Right. And so what happens to your immune system if it's not exposed to those common, you know, microbes? Mm-hmm. And that is a big question that we're going to, we're going to see, but like, you know, the whole push, over time, and it's almost like a pendulum swinging, right? You would, we were getting a lot of diseases that were not good, and so we swung to being extra clean and using antibacterial soaps and, you know, keeping our kids um, super clean. And so they weren't exposed to some of these environmental microbes that may really support their system. And then, you know, as we talk about microbiome, that's become a huge piece, and it's very related because, you know, there's so much research going on around what is your microbiome? And that can be, you know, the gut, which is has so much work going on. And how does that influence what you develop? And then, of course, your skin. Um, and this is the microbiome that you're exposed to. So people talk about mm-hmm. C-sections, right? Yep. Infants do not get the microbiome from their mother and come out pretty clean, right? And, yep. and um, sterile. Other things like getting antibiotics early in life, does that wipe out your gut mm-hmm. uh, microbiome? So, a lot of good research is being done on that. And then a third big piece around prevention, uh, which came out of London and some of our colleagues there, found that if you're exposed to certain foods in infancy because you have eczema, an atopic derm, then you, if you're exposed through the skin first by proteins, powder of the food in the air. So let's take peanut because this is what mm-hmm. it was done on. If you're exposed to peanut because it's in your house when you're an infant and you have broken skin, um, mm-hmm. then you have a higher likelihood of your immune system going down that TH2 mm-hmm. pathway. So to the immune system may sense gut. the presence of you know, infinitesimal amounts of peanut protein through the aroma of, of peanuts almost? The, well, not the aroma. It's the protein. So it's the protein. Food allergies are always the protein in the right, food. Right. So that that protein, if it's in the dust in your house, for oh, example, in the dust, okay, and it, yeah, and it can get on an infant's skin, and if the hmm. skin is broken and that's their first uh, first exposure, hmm. then 
that leads the immune system to almost attack it versus if it's a, if they're exposed through their gut, you know, then it leads them to tolerate it. So this is a hypothesis mm-hmm. that is um, currently being looked at in great detail. Can we potentially prevent allergies by by keeping the skin barrier intact mm. and introducing um, some of these common allergenic right. foods early? That, and that's a new thing, right? because we, we used to, I mean, yeah. a lot of parents used to say, well, I'm not going to give my kids any of these reactive foods. I'll keep them away from wheat, dairy, peanuts, uh, shellfish, uh, you know, all the major co- eggs, uh, you know, until they're mature, until the thought is until the immune system matures. But that now there's some new think about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is this what you said is is right on in the year 2000 when we saw this rise in food allergies, specifically peanut, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a recommendation uh, to tell parents not to introduce peanut products until age three, right? Ooh. So avoid peanut products um, because we didn't know what was going on and why are these allergies increasing and they're probably nervous about having infants, you know, having anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. Well, years went on in 2008 there was no data. No one had published anything. So the AAP said, okay, we're taking that recommendation away, but we don't have a new one because we don't know if it's better to introduce or not introduce. Mm-hmm. So people kept recommending not to introduce, right? Because mm-hmm. why would you, why yeah, would you tell them to risk. So then, yeah. yeah. So these colleagues in um, Gideon Lack and George Dutois, they uh, looked at infants in Israel compared to same genetic infants in London. And what they found was that the rates of peanut allergy were significantly lower in Israel compared to London um, in genetically similar kids. And the reason they felt that was happening was in Israel, they introduced a food called bamba, which is just like a a tasty cookie with uh, peanut butter Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And infants ate that frequently. So they thought, oh, maybe exposure early is preventing their peanut allergy. Then they conducted this study called the LEAP study, which was published and changed in the New England Journal and, and changed the recommendations and guidelines in the U.S. And I got to be at the table when that happened. But what was really interesting is it flipped. So now the new recommendation is early introduction of peanut products to prevent peanut mm-hmm. allergy. Um, of course, you have it's to. It's almost like, a, like a sort of a homeopathic uh, uh, preventive. Yeah. It's almost like immuni- oral immunization, which is also kind of a new trend in food allergy treatment, but it has to be done very carefully yep. and judiciously. Mm-hmm. You are exactly right, and that is actually now the treatment. You know, there's one FDA-approved treatment for peanut allergy, and it's exactly that. It's oral immunotherapy. So you introduce small amounts of peanut, and you work up to larger amounts of peanut. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, so on the treatment side, that's what's happening, and on the prevention side, that's what's encouraged, that early introduction. Now, the one thing is if your infant has eczema, so red, broken skin, then it's important to see your doctor first and mm-hmm. get assessed. Um, right. But if your child doesn't, then introducing peanut products early after you introduce a couple foods is now highly recommended. And we'll see if we can flip this. We can turn around food allergies, right, and decrease the numbers that are um, currently, you know, skyrocketing. What about environmental pollution? That is uh, sometimes uh, implicated in our current uh, epidemic. It, does that have something to do with it? Yeah. 
it it very well may, and it has been shown, you know, in other similar conditions. So when we talk about food allergies, we we have to look at the whole atopic march, you know. So it starts with that eczema, broken skin, and then allergies, environmental and food, and then asthma. So all of those make up what we call the atopic march or the at atopic spectrum. Mm-hmm. So those all of those conditions are related, but you don't have to have them all, right? You may have one and not the others, but you have a higher chance of having the others. So we know that environment is implicated in asthma. We also know it's implicated in environmental allergies. We also know that if you live in an urban area, you know, we, you have a significantly higher rate of having food allergies. So when we looked at urban and rural, we found it varied from about 10% in urban environments to 6% in rural environments in terms of prevalence of food allergy. So there is something in the environment. Now, is it the kids in the rural areas are playing in the dirt and running around and, you know, getting other things? Farm animals. And, and, you know, yes. Exactly. And their immune systems are stronger because of it. Is that why? Or is it something else? So lots of questions. <laughs> not not as many answers, but we're getting closer. Okay. It's a, the subject of research, ongoing research, and you're at the center of that. Uh, is it true that certain foods cross-react with environmental allergies? So, for example, it is thought that uh, there's some sort of homology or similarity between uh, uh, grasses and uh, uh, greens, and there's similarity between certain yeah. uh, tree fruit and the blossoms of trees that cause people to have spring allergies. And in the fall, uh, you know, the weeds uh, are also related to uh, certain types of uh, plants that we eat. So, is there is that uh, old think on allergies, or is that, has that been borne out? No, and I'm so, so glad you brought that up because there is a condition, we call it oral allergy syndrome, um, and it is specifically what you just said. So a lot of people will eat a food, uh, it could be a fruit, tomato, avocado, like, and you, you eat it and you get symptoms that are localized to your mouth. So mm-hmm. you usually get itching um, you could get a rash around your mouth. You get burning. Sometimes you can even feel like your throat is closing a little bit. But they're all really focused on oral. Um, and that, when you have those symptoms, it is important to get that diagnosed because that is related to the pollen, as you mentioned, you know, from the environment and that fruit or that food you're eating. And you can have symptoms, but it's not a full-blown food allergy. It is a different mm-hmm. entity, and it is typically not as severe, and you will usually only have localized symptoms, and there are ways you can enjoy eating the food that you like, you know, at different times of the year, or by peeling or cooking, or even by taking an antihistamine, you know? So again, it's a it's a condition that you should get a formal diagnosis so that you don't have to give up that food in your life. So back to what you were saying, it's one of the most common, um, I guess, masqueraders of food allergy because you'll eat it, you'll get all these oral symptoms and itching and, and burning and potentially even a rash and you fear you have a food allergy and you stop eating that food. How about uh, this theory that, that breastfeeding confers uh, protection against allergies? That That's controversial because I've seen some studies where that may not, always be the case. 
Yeah, you're you're right. So this is really important because, um, of course, breastfeeding offers so many benefits for your infant. So um, everyone, you know, I'm definitely an advocate for, for breastfeeding and if you can do it. But, you know, this is one thing we talk about a lot. Now, it is difficult for um, many women. And um, if you can't, then there's this bit of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, Stigma. part of me wants to, to, to yeah, and, and then, you know, oh, certain conditions are caused if you do or if you don't. And I want to kind of take that away. So, of course, advocate for breastfeeding if possible. If not, no, there are no strong studies showing that um, if you do not breastfeed, your child has a higher chance of developing food allergies. I've heard it said um, so that some kids' do not, symptoms do not improve. Get the guilt. I, I've heard it said yeah. that some kids' symptoms improve when mom avoids certain foods because the food yes. antigens may be transmitted via the breast milk. So it's like uh, the kids needing no solid foods, but the kids having allergic symptoms. Mom stops having dairy or whatever, and it gets better. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? What bothers me is sometimes you hear these. I, I had a patient um, who came in and was told to avoid all top eight foods yeah. while she was breastfeeding because yeah. her child broke out in a rash. How do you avoid milk and egg and soy and wheat? You know, I mean the nuts mm-hmm. and the shellfish, mm-hmm. okay, but um, I I just felt so terrible because there is not strong evidence and we don't know mm-hmm. like how much truly passes through. But I like you have had patients who you know, take out milk or take out a food from their diet and their infant's eczema or skin mm-hmm. or um, colic even improves, yeah. you know, to some extent. So it's, it's, it's a challenging situation that we don't know enough about right now uh, just because we haven't measured. But in this study that we're about to undertake, um, we're calling it the SEED study, we are planning on getting breast milk from mothers who will give it to us who are breastfeeding as we follow their infants and being able to do studies around, you know, no, amount of antigen in their breast milk, amount of protein that may get passed on. So hopefully, and there's many researchers around the country, actually world, like I said, mm-hmm. looking into that. So we'll hopefully have better answers. But, you know, I, I just, I did a segment about mom guilt, and I think it's very important uh, for mothers uh, to know that they just need to do the best they can, you know, and there are plenty of kids who develop food allergies who have been breastfed and plenty that develop it yep. who have not, you know, so we don't, we don't have answers and, and no one should feel, feel guilty mm-hmm. you know, around, around this. I, uh, I have to tell you, I, I was on, uh, there was an article when these new prevention guidelines saying that early introduction of peanut may prevent peanut allergy came out and uh, a reporter was talking to me and published an article uh, with me, you know, talking about the study, but then saying that I was slapping myself on the wrist for not introducing peanuts early to my daughter when those were not the recommendations when my daughter was born. Yeah. So the the idea of guilt, right? You, you're, I, there's a, a cute comic which is, um, yes, I, I breastfed my baby. I didn't bre- uh, breastfeed my baby. Um, that's why my kid has food allergies, right? Like it's yeah. whatever way you go, yeah, exactly. you're going to, you're going to feel some guilt. Damned if so you do, damned let if it you go. don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, take it away. So okay. yes, just do the best you can with what we know right now. Okay. Good point at which to pause because I have a lot of questions about uh, how to detect and how to treat food allergies. Because yeah. uh, that's a controversial Great. realm. We'll tackle that in part two. 
Uh, our guest is an expert on the subject of food allergy. Uh, she is uh, the author of the soon-to-be-published, you'll have to let our audience know, uh, book Food Without Fear, which will be released later this summer. Uh, Dr. Rushi Gupta uh, of the Food Allergy Research and Education uh, Foundation. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. <laughs>